You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 25. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find our other social links at the top of the page. And this specific episode will be codingblocks.net slash episode 25. And with that, welcome to Coding Blocks. I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. But first, this episode is sponsored by Infragistics. Are you developing on any .NET, iOS, jQuery, HTML5, or Android platform and looking to create your next application quickly and easily? Infragistics' new sample application library allows you to launch or download each app for a closer look. And in most apps, you can even get the source code for easy modification and deployment. So what are you waiting for? Go to infragistics.com slash sample dash applications and find your inspiration. All right. So uh, I think Jay-Z has an update on our giveaway here. Didn't we? Uh, we, we just. Oh, my God. This was awesome. What a great idea, dude. Yep. Um, yeah, we had a lot of fun with this one. Actually, uh, it, it it went way bigger than we thought. Um, we got some really cool comments. We even had a little bit of poetry slam. I didn't realize how many rappers listened to the show. I know. It's really amazing. Um, what you got to do is you, you got to uh, do some beatboxing while you read the comments, but uh, you guys should go check them out if you hadn't read. Um, so that was really awesome. I'm totally expecting like Eminem's going to jack one of these. And, and where you, next. Yeah, and where you can find it is slash episode 24. So definitely go check it out. Uh, there, there were some great, great ones that were left oh, they there. They were awesome. Yeah, and some great ideas too. Uh, Jorit um, was talking about possibly doing some sort of borrow book club kind of thing, which I thought was really cool, but I'm way too lazy to get involved with. And, you know, really, we, we talked about it, and the only real problem is enforcing that. Like, what's to stop somebody from just hanging on to the book and being like, okay, see you guys. You know, right. So. I, I still got some Blockbuster videos in my closet, actually. <laughs> and we know how well they're doing. So <laughs> it was well, it would be cool, though, if it did get passed around through the through the community. Though. That, that would be kind of It would awesome. be awesome. I mean, if you guys <laughs> decided to maybe say, hey, after a certain amount of time, then whoever's next on the list pays for shipping and then gets the book, right? Like. I mean that's basically all we're doing at this point. So well, I don't pay know. Pay it forward, however you want to do it, man. Yeah, it'd be it'd be awesome. I, I don't care how how it gets where. I just thought like when I forget who even suggested it. I thought that was an awesome idea. Enjoy it. And so who's the winner? Uh, the winner is JP. So uh, JP, if you're listening, send us your address at comments at codingblocks.net, and we'll get that in the mail. Yep. Awesome. And uh, yeah, the, you'll be able to see the the video of the their selection. Yep, that'll be on this episode at slash episode 25. So definitely go up there, check that out. Um, and also, we got some some more just fantastic reviews on both iTunes and Stitcher. Fortunately, Stitcher was back up, and so we were able to look at that. Uh, we appreciate all these. I mean, there were, there were some really good ones that came in. So thank you very much for taking the time to going up to those places and leaving the review. And if you haven't already, please do by going to www.cuttingblocks.net slash review. Yep, and uh, we uh, wanted to call out the actual people who did it too. So uh, this time we got JB Loves Me, awesome name, the occasional guru, which I empathize with. Um, <laughs> the uh, less often than not guru is uh, my actual name on Twitter, but um, it should be the Daniel Podcast Blast Off, Ben E, and Commander Woe. Yep, thank you very much, guys. And. Uh yeah, so uh, I I wanted I wanted to just mention I think we've talked about before how uh, you know I, I asked the question like when did Chrome start to suck, 
And at some point, I think the guys at Mozilla got a little jealous and they were like, hey, we can make Firefox suck as well. <laughs> so it really feels like, like now they all equally suck. And maybe it's just time that they should follow Microsoft's lead and just scrap it and start all over with Chrome and Firefox because I just, I, Firefox I've had problems with lately where like if I just leave it open too long, it just crashes. So what happens with Chrome for you though? <clears throat> uh, I mean, I just, just a bunch of little random things. It's not like one in particular, but like, uh, well, well, one that's been bothering me lately is just inconsistencies with Chrome across uh, operating systems. Okay, yeah. That's been one nuisance. But uh, uh, I've had some other instances where like while I have the, um, I think even Joe mentioned this in one of the last episodes, where if I have the developer tools open, you randomly will get like a, oops, I crashed. Dude, and, although I fixed that by disabling browser link in Visual Studio. So I noticed I was sending oh. all sorts of crazy, my network panel was just going crazy with all these like artery signal R I like how you saved that for the show. Yeah, that's really good. Yep, surprise. Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've all been struggling. You know what else I've been having though, where you're talking about having the developer tools open and this is in Chrome specifically? The developer tools are just closed. Like randomly. So I'll be in the middle of debugging something and it just closed. And I'm like, really? Come on. Well, I haven't had that happen, but I, but like I said, like with where I've had problems with Firefox here lately, though, is that like if I leave it open for too long, I've noticed that it's just, it, it just, it's unstable. Yeah. It, it's frustrating. I wish, I wish the, browsers... and I can't be the only one. And yeah. Yeah. But, so, yeah. So with that, though, there was, there was, uh, actually, you know, what was, what's today's day? There was, you know, I think last week was the official six year anniversary of, IE8, whose marketing campaign was awesome. And the days go slow, but the years go fast. Yeah. um, But there was a a company that uh, put out this site. I guess they were trying to, like, you know, pitch to the internet, you know, collectively, hey, guys, we can do this. Let's let's get rid of, let's stop supporting IE8. Let's get rid of it. So there's this great site called breakupwithie8.com. If you haven't already, um, heard about it or read anything of it, there are just some awesome things in there. So the idea was that uh, you would tweet your breakup message. So like, you know, treat it like a girlfriend. So rather than doing this on per- in person, this is, you know, modern day. So you just tweet your breakup. And and some of the breakup messages were hilarious. Like uh, one of the top ones is that uh, I'm leaving you because at least five of your action bars are not mine. <laughs> And uh, another one of my favorites, though, which in light of what I was just talking about with Mozilla, one of my favorites was, look, I was only using you to get to Firefox. (laughs) And that's probably true in a lot of cases. It's so true. You know what's really frustrating, though? The only reason IE8 still exists (laughs) is because all the companies out there that will only support IE8. Like, there's a lot of major corporations that are like, internally, they say, hey, you can only use this one. And that's the only reason I believe it even still exists. Well, you say that, but actually, um, there's been a recent uptick in Windows or IE8 usage that people, you know, like administrators and whatnot across the internet have noticed that, like, hey, why are we all of a sudden, like, we've seen this downward trend in IE8 usage, and suddenly there's this random spike. And, you know, bots? No, no, it's not a bot. It's coming from IE8. That's weird. Yeah, yeah, so like at first when uh, when I first noticed it, it was around uh, you know no- November time frame. So 
you know, around the shopping, you know, the beginning of the shopping holiday season. And the joke was that like, you know, all the grandmothers are booting up their computer for the first time this year. And, you know, there's that's just what it, that's the some, internet button. That they're doing some shopping, what it was. Right? <laughs> right? But, but it's kind of continued though. Like that tick, you know, just kind of stayed there. Right. Yeah. Well, you guys so, know why it's still around anyway, why the enterprises are sticking on it. It's because crappy developers like me have developed all these apps over the years that rely on all sorts of garbage like, uh, you know, ActiveX and <laughs> stuff like that. And then now, like, no one wants to maintain them and they don't want to change them because they're all kind of somewhat working. So the businesses just kind of stay on them because they're stuck with these legacy products. That would be extremely expensive to rewrite. Yep. Yeah. Um, and before we get into today's topic, which is, you know, the V-neck stuff, uh, a couple things. First, uh, Pump Forgettable hit us up right before, before the show on Twitter. You know, like, awesome, a new episode coming out. Oh, man, it's about .NET. <laughs> so, hey, hang around anyways. Even if you're not .NET guys, we always have something either mildly entertaining or somewhat useful. <laughs> so, I, I think all those cross-platform Java guys will be might find this one interesting. Yeah, this this one's actually exciting. Not hey. not because we're .NET fanboys necessarily, but because it just really is exciting for coming into the cross-platform world. So yeah, really, um, you know, ASP five. What, what this means is, you know, it's good stuff for us C sharp developers. It's awesome stuff for you Java developers because you you don't have to do Java anymore. <laughs> you don't have to. Oh, awesome. Well, we'll, we'll get to the topic V next, but for now. Yeah, and so I have one other topic. So we get we get a lot of emails from people asking about, you know, hey, what what are what are kinds of things that I need to look out for uh, when programming or or you know, when I when I get started down this path, what are the kind of things? Well, I actually had a topic come up with a, a good friend of mine and somebody I actually respect, but we had we kind of had a debate on this topic, and it actually made me want to crush my phone. So, oh god, um, here come the flame wars. So it, here's what the argument was: or it, was the, all, it was about white space, wasn't it? Oh man, no, this wasn't white space. And this person will go unnamed for right now. Um, but here's what it was: Would you rather have bad architecture or bad code? Now, wait a minute, can I pick neither? Now, is that an option? So here, here's here's where this gets frustrating for me is this is on a new project, okay? On a somewhat new project. So would you rather deal with bad architecture or bad code on bad, great architecture? Bad code because the, the good code's going to end up bad after a couple of weeks of iterations. I, I'd say my pick here is that if I had to pick between a bad architecture or bad code, I would rather deal with bad code. Agreed. Because... Architecture is far more difficult to change. Bad code, you can at least re start refactoring over time, and and the that cost that it takes to do to implement that, at least I feel like that's a smaller cost than just really bad architecture. Because sometimes if the architecture is really really bad, like you might be talking like a complete rewrite. Well, see, and that's where my problem is. So the the particular issue we were discussing because of the architecture itself and because it wasn't done right when the opportunity was there the problem is it doesn't matter what amount of code you put on top of it you can't fix the problem you can hide it mostly okay, but you me, can't fix let it let me let me put this to you into a different way though okay bad architecture versus good or bad code because every java developer they're going to tell you like if you picked C sharp as your architecture, then you already <laughs> doesn't matter how pretty that that C sharp code is. It's wrong. It's bad architecture, so you already have started wrong. So now you're gonna have to redo everything in Java, right? <laughs> in order to get 
to a good architecture and vice versa, right? right? Like, like people that are looking at Java, they're like, wait, why didn't you do that in C sharp? But now that's not the example I was thinking of when I was talking about like, you know, you might have to, but it certainly does help uh, illustrate the point in a comical way. But I guess one of my things is, is this. So when I talk about bad architecture, I guess if we lay it out real quick and I don't want to belabor this too long, uh, but it was just the kind of conversation that comes up when you're working on this kind of stuff. I feel like we're all like, one of us has to pick, I'm going to pick bad architecture. Oh, I will totally argue this out. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm totally on the side of uh, so, bad architecture. So now. when I say, oh really? I yeah. thought you said bad code. Well, not no. Well, I decided to play devil's advocate, and now I've actually figured out like if you actually have good code, then it should be trivial to swap out the architecture. If no, you've no. got enough interfaces, you can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> so check this out. But here's where my problem is: the bad architecture we were discussing was the lack of data. Okay, so what I mean is. If oh, you don't okay. have data to support something, so for instance, let, let's say that you and it's not something that you could reverse engineer. Correct, and it's not something that you could like go back in behind a, after the fact. Like it, it, if you missed, it's there's an opportunity cost right. there, and if you missed the opportunity to capture that data, then it's that opportunity is gone forever, gone. never yes. to be recaptured. And that's that's the architecture I'm talking about. So you you can argue all day long should you do n tier application or whatever. I'm not talking about that type of architecture. I'm talking about you made a decision at some point in time to where you were not collecting a key pertinent piece of data that you need. And so now, in my that opinion... Count as architecture, though? Would you it, count that as architecture? It, it is, right? If you set it up, if you have your data design set up that way to where I you're I guess not now we're kind of like, you know, muddy in the lines with like kind of data architecture. Well, it, it's all part of an application, right? But here's my key. It, this, is my, this is my take on this is... It, at that point, because you missed that data, as as Michael put, you've lost that opportunity. It's gone. No amount of code, I don't care how beautiful it is, I don't care how solid it is, I don't care anything about it, you cannot recreate what is lost. And so what he talked about is, well, he'd rather have um, good code because you can use the facade pattern to hide bad architecture. The problem is you can hide bad architecture, but you can't make data up. You can't make things up that yeah, aren't there. Yeah, and that's there. why I worded it as like opportunity cost. Yeah, and so that's because my that problem. that pretty much sums it up. So my feeling is if you are working on a project and there is ever a discussion of let's skip this, if it's at the opportunity cost of losing data that you then have to try and recreate out of thin air, you've lost. That's that's my opinion. That's my take mm-hmm. on it. And this is, this is just I'm, coming, I'm waiting on Java Boy over here to <laughs> speak up with his architecture uh, uh, I actually, argument. I got lost on the A word. I, I kind of want to do an episode now uh, just the so I can A-word? research it on uh, what architecture actually is and what architects actually do. Oh, okay. So a lot of times you see architecture rules and really they're just coding rules. But uh, I have a feeling there's you know some well-defined parameters there that uh, it would be nice to kind of exfoliate. Yeah, I think it depends on the shop. It could also be just you know documentation boy it might or be. girl. Well, a lot of times it's what systems are being. Like, it mean, it's such a, a wide variety of things that it encompasses, right? Like what technology stack or how many tiers are you doing or how many layers or, or you know, architecture encompasses so much that you could basically tailor it to whatever you want it to be. But yep. so am I drawing boxes all day then? Am I going to meetings? Potentially. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of both, right? Or you could I be. I think really- it depends on how big the company is. <laughs> the larger the company, then you're probably doing less hands on. Right. With it, a title architect. Or the number of resources you Smaller have. Smaller company with a title architect, you're probably like, you know, there's probably not a lot of difference between you and the guy coding next to you. So it may not even be the large company. It's how many resources are on your team, right? Because you could have a huge company with a small team. Or you could have a, you know, 
It, I think it depends on the size of your team, right? Like an architect over a team of 50 people will probably so be size doing... size matters. <laughs> That's... <laughs> Is that the takeaway? Okay. So what do you want to talk about V-Next? All right. So, yeah. All right. Let's move on here. So, um, at any rate, uh, yes, V-Next. Let's get into this. Um, All right. So um, you guys have probably heard about uh, V-Next if you are uh, a .NET Melver or just not living under a rock and... And so I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about VNext or ASP5. And um, first of all, I want to give you a picture of kind of what the goals were, you know, what what the high-level um, view of ASP5 is. And um, we, we broke it down here into like seven or so kind of um, things. <laughs> and the first is that it's faster. Uh, it's more performant. It's also much simpler. And I don't really care about those, but it's much more flexible. <laughs> Which we'll explain in a little bit. None of those are the exciting one. Yep. And here's the exciting one. It's more cloud friendly. No, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's not it either. Yeah, that's not it. We'll tell you what that means too. Yep. All right. Now we're getting to the actual good ones. It's cross platform. Woohoo! No, no, that's not it either. Oh, come on. That's the only one I really care about. What? Yeah. That's not it. Yeah. No. That's it. Open source? No. No. Come on. That's kind of cool. No. All right. And the last bullet here basically just says that it's mo better. So, mo uh. better. <laughs> <laughs> now I was pretty sure that they just wanted to use like everything else that's kind of been used out there in the open source world, and they wanted to just like suck that in. Be uh, part of okay, it too. so you think it's more consistent with like um, kind of normal patterns? Well, I was actually trying to you know be funny about it uh, about a point that I was going to make later about like all the different uh, tools that are used as part of it. That, uh, but but you know to your point, they did go out and you know, well not go out, but they. They did take in like best practices that other communities were using, like you know Rails or Node or Java or whatever, and uh, you know take some of those best practices and incorporate it into it. But that's actually not what I was trying to make a joke about. Thanks for ruining that. Yeah. All right. So more consistent with reality. I like it. All right. And the uh, the improvements lie in kind of two major areas, which we're going to dive into uh, right now. And uh, the first are runtime improvements. All right. So I, I guess the first one that we want to talk about is the fact that um, the MVC and the web API have been unified into a single programming model, which is cool because, you know, previously you had to bring them in separately. They had their own paths, their own, you know, things that are the routing that you had to manage. So, yeah. And they were so similar. That's what kind of got me is like they felt like two, two halves of the same coin or sides. <laughs> well, they were actually, they were independently well not independently they were completely different paths where they had to recreate a lot of functionality and then that's where confusion came from if you were using one or the other or both we we're like well hey i know in this other one i could do x y and z but why isn't this working over here and that's why gotcha okay so they so they weren't it wasn't like one was it's not like web api was built on top of mvc or vice versa they went down completely different okay. uh, architectural paths so I'm glad this one's there, but I'm not too excited because I kind of feel like it should have been that way anyway. Yeah, well, this is all part of the MVC6 uh, redo where it's like unifying all of that. So now they're all together. Yep, and uh, MVC6 does require ASP5. So there's some numbers for you. All right. Yeah, so, th so actually MVC6 does bringing together MVC, Web API, and Web Pages. I don't know if we mentioned that one. No, uh, we have not. So it's you know all three of those now. Yep. So I would categorize this uh, change as uh, making it simpler. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would categorize 
categorize that as making it boring. <laughs> <laughs> Outlaw's going to be the excited one here tonight. <laughs> All right, the next one is a no-compile developer experience. And this one's kind of cool, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. So essentially what they're saying is it's almost like an interpreted language if you're coding. Now, here's the only here's the only caveat that I found, is it's if you're in Visual Studio. So essentially what they've got is Visual Studio is using the Roslyn compiler to enable dynamic compilation. So as you save a file... It's compiling this stuff behind the scenes so that the next time you go to refresh your page or something, it looks like it, you know, is working like an interpreted language, even though it just compiled it for you behind the scenes. But it does make it a nicer experience. So you're not always going in and running build and then going back to your web page and doing that kind of stuff. So, um, but it does say it is Visual Studio integration with Rosalind. So. Yeah. And it's kind of funny to think before, you know, it, it was always kind of the way of things. So I never really thought about it, but it is kind of silly to like, generate these you know these um dlls which are then loaded into memory immediately it's like hey why why skip the why not skip the middleman and just kind of shove that straight in memory well it was also more frustrating than that because it was like halfway done like if you were working right. on something that was you know front end so it was in like your aspx page right or cshtml page like then you you didn't have to compile but if it was in a cs file yeah, right yeah. a c sharp file then you'd have to compile. So it was kind of like, oh, man, this is like, oh, I forgot. I was actually not in the front-end code. So Yeah. yeah. So. And this, uh, I haven't tried this yet, but it, I think it'd be really quick. I mean, C-sharp is kind of like jitted anyway. So as long as it can keep those uh, compile times quick, then this should be really awesome. Yep. Um, who's got the next one? <laughs> well, I think we should be careful about, you know, making jit a verb. <laughs> it was... <laughs> Just in time for those of you who are not aware of what he was talking about. Sorry. Yeah. And uh, I would classify this change, the no compiler developer experience is making it faster. Maybe well, except for like every PHP developer is like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, no yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Wait, you didn't already have that? Wah, wah. Uh, next one is environment-based uh, configuration, which um, actually there's a couple different ways that you can get configurations now. And what that means is um, rather than kind of having um, this one web config file to kind of rule over things where you can get your key value pairs for basic settings, you can now get them from a variety of places, including a JSON Like file. machine config. Yes, or machine config or environment. <laughs> I was making a joke. Or, well, yeah, it, it works though, but... Uh, well, that's the same thing as your web config, kind right. of. Right, it a is. Degree. But yeah. like, like, you'd use the machine config if you didn't want to have to uh, transfer it around as part of your project, right? Right. Yep. But uh, I don't even know how to change things in the machine config, like via script or something. Well, but I know in like the Java world, I can set all sorts of, you know, it's quite common to kind of set like Catalina variables or just, you know, environment variables for your application. Well, the machine config sets defaults and then you, you can start overriding. Well, that's in Windows. Right now, here's here's another thing. Oh, this right. is cross-platform Windows. Right, that's a big deal. So, so I don't know if you finished. So, you got JSON files, XML files. You can do in, in addition to your web config, but also environment variables. So, can I do an I and I? <laughs> I don't know why anybody would. <laughs> yeah. But, but so it makes me wonder, like what you just said with the Catalina properties and that kind of stuff. Like you can set environment variables in Linux fairly easily, in you know OS X. So I wonder if that's going to tie in. Oh, seamlessly. you can totally do it easily in Windows too. You just got like open up Explorer, right click on my computer, go <laughs> yeah. to properties, environment variables, go to, advanced. go to advanced system variables. Man, if you're a uh, PowerShell, it's probably got like a set path variable. <laughs> 
But yeah. uh, I also see this as kind of being uh, tied into the, like the Docker future that we you know we hear coming from uh, Microsoft. So they are working on some sort of Docker Windows uh, implementation, and I know Docker for Linux uh, it kind of specifically relies on or it doesn't rely on it, but it's um, it plays really nicely with environment environment variables. Coolness. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, here is one of my favorites: is that DI out of the box is a big part of the next version of Visual Studio and ASP.NET. Yeah, and this is interesting. So now we've got Microsoft.Framework.DependencyInjection, um, so new namespace. And uh, they say it's really minimalistic, and I tried to do a little bit of reading to see kind of you know what they were going for here. And um, it's, as far as I could tell, it's basically just the generic reasons why you'd normally want dependency injection, which is kind of separation concerns and uh, testing. But, but the reason why I like this one so much, though, is that because this is... This is a, a very good practice, right? That is now going to be core to the environment. Like dependency yeah. injection is a good practice. Why are you rolling your eyes? I'm not rolling my eyes. I'm thinking. So there's there's <laughs> arguments on both I sides. Felt the heat. Is that what it was? <laughs> no, there's arguments on both sides of it, right? Like you'll see some people say that if you get your dependency injection stuff, that like it's having to new up those objects for you every single time, right? If you don't use it in your code, there's a performance hit on that. So it, it 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 boils down to what you're trying to use. So when you say it's a good practice, I agree to a certain extent. Um, but on the flip side, if you're writing something that's just based purely off performance and you don't want to new up a bunch of objects that need to be garbage collected later, then that may not be the route to go. So I guess I guess I just I didn't want the the overall statement. Yeah, to but be again, like, we're talking about an ASP.NET you know app, mm-hmm. and you're talking about for performance. So now you're only going to like wire in those services that you want, right? We might. <laughs> but I guess that's what I'm saying. Like if you start going crazy and you have a bunch of dependencies in there, you, you can start getting bloated, well, right? Well, then you're then then your apps bloated and you're no longer performant anyway, so you have other problems. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Like if you're talking about from a performance point of view, this is still awesome because you can still you can still only wire in the pieces that you want and now you allow someone else to be able to replace those as needed. In the future, so I, I my only point is that I think that dependency injection in general is not a bad practice. Let's put it that way, and the fact that it's now wired in as you know a core component to your uh, ASP.NET five you know app, I think is a good thing. Yeah, no, I agree. Right now, but, I know like I think it was uh, when is it Fowler that famously has a a discussion on why. Dependency injection is crap. Is bad. Yeah, and we brought it up on one of the previous episodes. I think we did. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely done some dirty things with Ninject. Well, that's uh, so bringing that up. That's actually really cool. So they have their baked in one that they said is a fairly simple um, container that they have. Um, but they said it's easy to swap in your Ninjects and those things as well. So yeah, structure map, whatever. That, but and then again, you know, I, like I said, I'm not. It doesn't matter that theirs is minimalist. It's just the fact that it's now it's core there. to it. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then this is where all the Java guys are going to be like, well, we had spring for, you know, ever. Right. <laughs> so congratulations. Ever, ever since the fall. <laughs> but Okay. Yeah. All right. So moving on to that. Ah, everything is NuGeted. And that's actually really kind of cool. So one of the cool pieces about ASPV Next is instead of having like everything, you really only have to include what you need. Well, that depends though. Depends on what you're targeting. Right. Yes. If you're doing if you're the targeting core. full CLR, then that's yes. not a true statement. Yes. Yep. If you're doing the new um, 
watered down core, uh, then at that point, everything's like a nougat package that you bring in. And, and it's really kind of cool because when you're going to include these, you have IntelliSense so that when you're trying to include something, it, it will automatically link into the NuGet library, and it'll even do versioning. Which so is really I, I, nice. I guess I kind of skipped ahead, and you know, by by that statement. Though, so just for clarification, there are now going to be three different runtimes that that uh, you know this is supporting. Right, one is the full .NET CLR. This is the CLR that you've come to know and love, unless you're a Java developer, and you know th- this is the one you're used to. Everything is is there it's all in the GAC and you have hell with the GAC. Yes. They tried to solve the DLL hell problem and I guess it, it didn't happen. It didn't really happen. Yeah. Now so then there's the core CLR, also known as the cloud optimized runtime. And this is the version that you're talking about, Alan, where you only get the things that you specifically request and they are brought in as NuGet packages. So for example, if you want I don't know. Give me something. Uh, you know, if you want to you got to bring in, yep. you got to bring it in, right? You're not getting any, any of those types that you're used to getting for free, like, um, system know, dot list web. or right. generics or, you know, whatever. All of it. Yeah. You're not getting those for free. Now you have to include the library and then bring it in, which I mean, some will argue that it makes things a little bit more complicated, but it also keeps your app a lot more lightweight, right? And, yeah, and it well, also keeps it all together, which I like because that means yes. you can copy the whole folder. You don't oh, have to worry now about we're the totally GAC, skipping ahead. What's uh, you don't have to worry about what's installed, what's not. And I think that's another kind of move towards this Dockerified future, right? So again, so if you're doing the core CLR, then you can you can install that CLR side by side with your app. So now you don't have to worry about system wide .NET updates affecting your application it's awesome and that's key you can update each application independently as needed and you may not even ever have to update those applications that's that's really the key right like you can have three i'm not going to say that though i mean security hacks they happen all the time security you're going to have to update your .NET version but it doesn't affect either any of the others and i guess that was the key right like if you have 10 applications on there one's running 4.5 one's running four the scenario that you got to worry about is that like in in I'm sure developers around the world have been in this scenario where there's some legacy app that the original, you know, contractor that wrote it 10 years ago has left and this thing is still running and nobody quite knows how it works, but it still gets the job done, but we can't change anything on that system. Right. Because this mission critical app is still needed. And it's the only app on that server. Yeah. So, so, now, when you know someone says, "Well, hey, but it's running on .NET two oh, we need to upgrade that." There's you know all kinds of security patches out there, right? That's problem problematic in that scenario. Now, going forward, though, with this one, because the .NET version can be installed side by side with the app, it's no longer an issue. If you you can update only the apps that you want to update. Yeah, it's all sandboxed, so, <clears throat> which is which is excellent. So, just to wrap up the the different runtimes, the third one is the cross platform CLR. Now, let me put an asterisk on that, okay? Because technically, Microsoft hasn't developed this yet. This they said is... the preview's coming out soon. Yeah, I believe them. I, I, I actually do in this case because this you know, is probably a huge selling point. And if they fall here, flat... Here's why I believe them. This is not your daddy's Microsoft. That's a good All point. Right? That's a good point. The this Microsoft... Bob, the, Bob is my daddy? The, the Microsoft <laughs> right now 
the Microsoft right now, this is not the Microsoft that, you know, we grew up with that we knew, right? That us, that used to always be, well, it's got to run on Microsoft. It's got to support, you know, this Microsoft specific platform, right? They are way more open about things that they, that they're doing now and supporting. And it's because they're, they were forced into it. It's not because they chose that they wanted to, they would love to have their monopoly back if they could. There's a whole consistent with reality thing. Yeah, exactly. So, so, I have no doubt that they will because, and here's the reason why, because right now the cross platform comes at the cost of relying on mono. Yep. So there's no way that you're going to convince me that Microsoft would want to be beholden to someone else reverse engineering their APIs yep. so that it could run on Linux or OS 10. So I, I would, exp- I suspect that they will come out with one, but it's just a matter of when. Yep. Yep. Uh, just real quick, I wanted to wrap up. Um, we talked about you know NuGet. We kind of went off on a tangent there, but wanted to mention that because um, because of NuGet, it's really easy to kind of specify your version you know in a file there. So if you want to say, you know, I'm fine with anything, then you can do that. Or if you want to set a specific version, you can configure that as well. So that's really nice. All done through IntelliSense if you're in Visual Studio. So man, we were skipping all around because one point I wanted to wrap up with with the cross platform was that if you caught what I was saying. That means that there's the flexibility to be able to swap out CLRs, right? Right. Mm-hmm. CLR vendors, right? Java has had this for a while. Like if you, if you, you know, back, you know, IBM would have their own version of the runtime. Oracle had their own version, right? It was like you, know, whoever you want to use. And wasn't that like the whole lawsuit between Google and Oracle was that, you know, Oracle was claiming that they had. Uh, Reinvent it. Maybe I'm remembering that one wrong, but I know they got sued for using Java without paying licensing fees. But I don't remember how deep that went. I thought it was because they reconstructed, or, or they were, they were accused of the whole API. Yeah, yeah, re- reconstructing it. But, but yeah, that is cool because you could really because it's open source. You could basically take the CLR and you know make your own, fork yep. it, do something. So. Not that I'm gonna, but no, no, it's I'm cool. not. Well, but I mean, I guess where I'm thinking about this though is that like maybe you have some specific use case, right? So like one of the cool things that's actually come out is that, uh, you know, and by come out, I mean like that, that people have done, you know, announcements that have been made is that, you know, someone actually had this thing running on Raspberry Pi. That's really cool. Right? Yeah, that is awesome. So what if you wanted to make your own CLR that was optimized for some kind of small, uh, you know, Internet of Things type device, right? And, and, you know, maybe you want to make the instruction set as small and as simple as possible, Right, then that's so a reason why. Yeah, yeah. Yep, but and, and and you don't want to, for whatever reason, maybe because of you know bureaucracy, maybe Microsoft's too slow to move forward or whatever. And you're like, you know what, we got this, we can do it on our own. We're gonna release the you know um, mini .NET CLR. Well, that is right? kind of cool if you think about it, because most of uh, um, you know distributed or embedded type devices right now run Java, because it was you know easy to do that kind of stuff. So now you might actually see .NET things running on, like you said, the Internet of Things. Like my router devices. might be running ASP. That's <laughs> kind of cool, well, right? Here, here's, is. here's another idea, just brainstorming things off the top. But like, um, what's that, what's the Android phone that, uh, oh shoot, that that was uh, secure? Like everything about it was secure. Oh man, right? I don't know. Did it ever get popular? I know they were working yeah. at, what was it called? Something the, black. The black phone? The black, yeah, something. But but what if you, what if you wanted to have a, a, um, secure CLR where like everything about it was, you know, anything that was written to memory was going to be encrypted. You know, what, you know, I don't know how you would do this. I'm not, you know, claiming to be the cryptography security expert to do that, but I'm just brainstorming like ideas why it might be valuable 
to have others developing the CLR, right? Yeah, it, it, and it was the black phone is what it was called. Uh, so we'll leave a link. So if you, if you have like for ATM purposes and you're like, you know, this other company developed the secure.net CLR where nothing is written in the clear, whether it be to mem- in memory, whether it be to disk, whatever. That is cool. Yeah. I mean, it opens up a world of possibilities and it might actually spread.net a little bit more, right? Which, I mean, I would be a fan of. <laughs> yeah. And also uh, my favorite part is just cheaper hosting. Oh, no doubt, right? No. Yeah, a couple extra dollars a month. Cha-ching. Throw it on a Linux box. Oh, man, it's beautiful. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, what The next one was you can run an IS or you can run self-hosted in your own process. That's beautiful because previously you were tied to a Windows machine. Yep. We've already mentioned that it's going to be cross-platform, which means that it needs to be able to run another process other than IS because it doesn't exist on OS X and Linux and all that. So, So that's excellent. I mean, you can literally have your self-deploying you know, application that you just run. No IIS. I, I for one, will not miss IIS. I kind of like IIS, but, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> I feel like right-clicking, I guess. Now, I, one thing that I haven't looked into this, though, because <clears throat> so so the the self-hosted one that comes with, that you would run on, like, a Windows is maybe for obvious reasons, not the same one that you would run on OS ten, for example. Right. Right? So, so those are built off of, um, I think... I think the the self-hosted one for Windows is built off of HTTP Sys, and I forget what the one for OS ten is based off of. But like basically, like in your config, one will be called Web, and then for OS ten, it'd be called Kestrel uh, that you're that you're going to run to execute that. But I wonder, like, if you if it may already be pluggable with this, and I haven't taken the time to investigate. It, but like, if you could maybe in the future, if there's an Apache version or an uh, Nginx version. You know that you'd be able to specify, like, "Hey, I want to run on this particular." I, I I imagine that 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 would be coming, but I have no idea. It's awesome you brought that up because one of the things that's key about this is supposedly the HTTP process is supposed to be a lot faster on this because you can kind of pick and choose what goes into it. And I'm probably jumping ahead again, but well, it's because there's so much exciting things to talk about. Right. What I'm curious about is, you know, like as soon as Nginx came out, like benchmarks galore of how it destroys Apache. And, you know, light HTTPD, also same thing. Like, I'm wondering how this is going to stack up against those in their own lightweight processes. So, I don't know. I'm really kind of excited to see how this goes. Because, again, to Joe's point, this could mean much cheaper hosting, right? You're not having to run Windows to run your website, which cuts your cost tremendously. Oh, so, yeah. Um, could be huge, and then, yeah, but you can code it in C sharp. Like, is that the best of like? Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I actually just bought dollarhosting.net, so I'm ready. <laughs> and if you didn't, it's gone now. Yeah. <laughs> Although you know, if you go to our site, there is uh, some you know inexpensive .net hosting that you could uh, you know use. You just click on that link, and uh, you know for phenomenal, and there you go. That is a good point. All right. Um, <laughs> so our next one. Is the uh, project structure, right? Yep. So that's the kind of the second part. So first we talked about like runtime and basically the kind of changes oh, that, this that one were involved I'm there. I'm really excited about. And, but these are the ones that, <laughs> that are coming up that are, are going to affect my day-to-day life. So I'm excited about this. These are the things that actually change what I do. I'm going to blow your mind here. Mind you, blown. Do you know the most ex- – oh, wait. Before I say it, go ahead and intro what is different about this structure. Uh, we'll go slowly. It's JSON-based. Right, you're going too slow for me. <laughs> My excitement level <laughs> which uh, it's waning. <laughs> it's a uh, there's a K project project file now. K stands for Katana. 
No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Project Katana, it's related. No, it's not. Yeah. The K, the K, from everything I've heard, the the K has nothing to do with Katana. That, that's just coincidental. Okay, what's that have to do with then? <clears throat> I'm pretty sure, well, at least <laughs> in I my won, mind. I just won that argument. <laughs> no. <laughs> actually, actually, I honestly have heard that it, it wasn't Katana, but I could be wrong. Well, I'm willing. Hey, you know what, dear listener, please write in, prove me wrong, leave some comments on, on the site. Email us some feedback, tweet us, whatever you prefer to, to, you know, pound me. You know, if you want it to be public, then Twitter or uh, feedback on the on the site. But I'm pretty sure, like from what I heard, what I read, it was not Katana. But what I like to believe the reason why, because everything about this now is is going to be K. So there's the um, KVM, the uh, you're gonna to run commands. You do K and then run or K build or K whatever. What I like to think is that whoever was in charge of the project, he or she had a name that began with K, Kenny, Keith, whatever it might be. And when they weren't working at Microsoft, Kiefer, they their rapper pseudonym. Get on the ground. Their their rapper pseudonym was Special K. Oh, and this is in go. reference to them. <laughs> so, yo, make it real, Special K! Very nice. And, uh, yeah, let us know what the uh, the K means, and we're not talking about clustering. Hmm. Donuts? All right, so Project is a JSON file. I'm actually excited about that, because I don't like the Project files as are. Yep. Oh my God. But it's the annoying. reason I'm excited about it has nothing to do with it about it being JSON. It's the fact that you don't have every single file in there. Right. Oh, man. No Let me more. skip ahead. Before you guys steal mine, what? you were about to read mine. You were about to steal it. Wait, that's, what, what? that's what you get for disagreeing with me about the case. No way, man. The most exciting no thing about this, <laughs> no more merge conflicts. No more <laughs> CS Proj merge conflicts because you Hallelujah. and three other guys all made a change to it and added new files. And now Git's like, wait a minute. One of these has to go. Man, it's so killer. Like, instead of all your files listed, which is why our merge pro- conflicts come in play, you can literally say, hey, include star.cs. Have you ever had, like, <laughs> have you ever been in a situation where you, like, actually had to read line by line oh, yeah. a CS Proj file? It's horrible. And, and everything's GUID based. And then it's like, you know, a file is set to a GUID value. And then that GUID value is included in as another GUID value. Before you realize it, you're like three or four GUID level you know, references deep. And you're like, wait a minute. What GUID was this again? What did this mean? Dude, it, it, that is the worst. So but, so now, this is where all the Java guys are going to go, wait a minute. We already have that. Yeah, yeah. Boo. Because now the project structure is going to be like whatever. You know, it's file system based. If it's in that folder, we'll take it. We'll compile it. You might not admit it, but we're going to do it. But you can exclude those. You can, exclude, you can exclude items if you want. You can exclude files. You can exclude folders. You can include, you know, asterisk files. You can. It is the way that you would expect things would work in a sane world. Yes. So it's about time. No That's more like right here. click, add to project, include existing. How in the world did it take this long to do this? That, like seriously, why has this been like this for this long? I think someone there really likes GUIDs. You know what it is? There's probably someone at Microsoft who's like getting royalty checks off of GUID generators. Right. You know, like they 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 came up with the the intellectual capital on how to do it. You know, they have the patent on it, and every time someone uses it, they get some money. 
Right. That's just my guess. What's the what's the solution folder source thing? That's what we just talked about. Well, it's a, it's a little bit different. There's basically a source folder where all your kind of source code goes, and there's other folders for things like static content and stuff like that. So, cool. So now, so now, like we say all that, but now it's like, didn't we exactly go against this exact thing in Java like a few episodes, many episodes back, about how you had to go like eighteen thousand directories deep. Because you know you were into like your source dub 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 dot com dot yeah com dot you know company dot subdomain dot project dot it looks like your folder structure stays the same for your solution it's just the management of those assets now is easier yeah and so so I do like this and it also um, makes it easier to say like only serve stuff out of this folder and not necessarily the project root which you know has your config files and stuff. I mean, think think about applications right now where you do builds and it generates all these files, and then all of a sudden you go to do a web deploy and those files aren't there and it chokes about it. Like you can easily manage that. Oh now. yes, oh yes. Uh, it's it's going to be beautiful. All right, so. like get ignored just got a lot easier. <laughs> it, it, seriously, it's going to match your project file just about. Yep, and there are ways to like exclude files and things like that, but uh, I don't see that happening a whole lot. Nah, but. just include it. Anything, anything, I th- I'll tell you how we'll exclude stuff. We'll just comment it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just comment out that file. No. Let it compile. No. It'll compile nothing. Control K C. <laughs> please, please don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right. So we have a dependency folder for packages. Um, you know. Yeah, it's the next couple of words that scare me on this one, though. So I, I get dependency folders, folders, you know, I get the whole packages directory. It's kind of invisible now in Visual Studio, but they're talking about actually having that uh, show up. But what scares me is um, NPM and Bower. So they're talking about different kinds of package managers. And, and you know, this is a good thing. Just, uh, you know, I know those are JavaScript related. Oh, and- man. This is actually <laughs> like one of the, the things that I th- thought was kind of humorous about this. And this is where I was talking about earlier, uh, you know, I don't even remember what the reference was, but I, I was talking about like a you know comment that I had that was coming up was that uh, oh when when I was talking about like them bringing in everything you know that uh, standard tools that other uh, plat communities are using because now it's like oh you want some package managers oh well you better be careful what you ask for because we're going to bring you some package managers yeah and this is a really good thing you know like who's doing websites now without javascript right so you're probably using you know some sort of package management on that side anyway but now you just don't have to kind of go out of your way or install plugins or do any weird stuff you know it's just kind of built in for you yeah so not only do you have nougat to worry about now you got npm you got bower you got grunt i mean you got your package managers to deal with well grunt's yep. a task runner okay fair enough fair okay enough. yes sorry yeah, but the, yeah, at least they're moving into the next century, right? Like you're not, they're not depending on postbacks anymore. You can actually have JavaScript stuff. Yeah, there's chocolate in one git. Don't forget those. Oh man. All right. Yeah. Uh, static files in the www root folder. Pretty cool. Yes. Um, super excited about that. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Sounds like. <laughs> so uh, this this one's brought to you by NPR. And, um, so there's static files in the dot 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 root folder. Yawn. How do you feel about that, Joe? <laughs> um, I'm slightly more excited about command line scaffolding. Mm. All right, let's hear about it. Um, uh, scaffolding is kind of cool for demos, but uh, I don't know many people that really use it. Yeah, you know, my <laughs> next one practical. is way more interesting than that. Yeah. I don't know. Scaffolding is useful. 
in the beginning. But it's like, how long until some project has some sort of weird quirk Agreed. that doesn't let you really use the scaffolding? It always happens well, like it's like day two. But hold up. That's one of the beauties of C Sharp that we've pointed out before, though, is you can have the partial classes, right? So as long as your scaffolding builds partial classes, then maybe you can regen them all the time, right? Yeah. I think so, it generates HTML and all sorts of stuff. It's kind of like, you know, the whole like Ruby blog in 10 minutes, you know, thing from like 15 years ago. Gotcha. So that's cool. The next one, though, is about to blow your mind. <laughs> I don't like it. They're, they're bringing... Hold on now. They're bringing readmes <laughs> into the now. I like readmes, but it's, it's got the wrong file extension. It's an HTML file. Yeah, it should be a dot... MD. Uh, MD. I don't Locked even know down. why one of you guys put this one in there. <laughs> I think that that was probably copied and pasted from somewhere. Uh, I don't right. even know. Like, really? Who? Why? What do you guys put this in here to talk about? And this is like, of everything in here, this one's probably the least. Oh, come on. You're not excited about that? No. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you recognize by my sarcasm. Well, actually, I, I do like this because like in uh, my GitHub projects, I tend to put a readme file because I want it to show up you know, in GitHub correctly. But now it's like this weird, you know, readme.md file that's mixed in with C sharp files, which I don't like. Yeah, it's so. your markdown file. Yeah. yeah but but it's now it's going to be code. your HTML file. And it's going to be at a higher level than my source code. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty lame. Nobody's really excited about that. <laughs> no. it gives, you've got to read me by default. This is this one. A, this is not exciting. <laughs> okay. I mean, if they were going to do this, then I agree. It should have been a markdown file, not an HTML file. But you can WYSIWYG you, it. You just haven't seen a good README file. That's what this <laughs> is about. I've written some good README files, but I did it in markdown, not HTML. This is crazy. Uh, I don't even know why one of you guys put this in here. You this could is, have your build instructions inside of your whichever projects. Whichever one of you put this in here should feel bad. I'm You're bad. a bad person, I, and you should feel bad. I think Outlaw did it, Good actually. Blame. <laughs> Yep. Get blame? Is that what you said? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's available in the, uh, in the Google Doc. That's fantastic. Awesome. All right. Well, let, let's take a moment here because, you know, w- we've said this before, but, uh, you know, to everyone who has already taken the time to leave us a review on iTunes and, uh, t- or Stitcher and, you know, all that, we, we really appreciate it. It means a lot to us. And, and if you haven't, we would greatly appreciate it if you would. Um, you can go to www.codingblocks.net slash review. Review or reviews. <clears throat> and, <laughs> and you know, pick your, your platform of choice and, uh, you know, you can go there to, to leave us a review. Like I said, it, it really means a lot to us. It helps other people to find us. Uh, so, you know, it, it adds to the credibility and it really means a lot. And spread the word. You know, if you, if you got some friends that aren't already listening to the show, be sure to, you know, tell them about it. Get, let them listen in. You know, hey, if nothing else, it will give you guys something to discuss during lunch so that you can say how wrong I was. <laughs> and that could be entertaining in and of itself. It could. The whole case situation will come back around. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. So. Awesome. All right. Now, what's special K? What's next on the agenda here? So, again, I think we already said once once you have this thing with the core CLR that you can you can now host it anywhere. Yeah, I think we're basically now we're just kind of talking about some of the more important things. We, we we went through kind of a list before, so we wanted to call it things that we're actually excited about and highlight them. Yeah, I mean... Like the Project Readme. <laughs> dude, The seriously, cheap hosting along with this, but being able to code in C-sharp is fantastic because right now, if you want to do... 
if you want to host on Linux, you're probably coding in PHP. Or and we're Perl all on Macs right now, so it'd be nice yeah. to be able to stay in that experience. I prefer Macs, you know. Oh, hold up a second. Did we even? So, so, okay. So, if we we want to discuss this cross-platform runtime, hold on, hold on. Before we go, what else do we have? God, we have a long document. Yeah. Well, let let's get into the the cross-platform because yes. I don't know have you if you let's guys have played with this yet, but no, it is a. Uh, let, let me put it to you like this, okay? Like, if you if you want to develop on your Mac, right? Uh, ASP.NET VNext app. And you have, let's say, just a clean Mac. Let's go over the list of things that you need to do to get that Mac set up. Let's do that. Oh, my God. All right. First, you're going to have to install Xcode. Wait half your lifetime <laughs> For that to download, because I think that's like 1.8 gig or something like it's that. Big. And then every stinking time there's an iOS update, guess what you're getting a new copy of? But th- it's not 1.8 right. gigs anymore. They actually did cut that back down because it used to bring the whole thing every time. It doesn't do that oh, anymore. Oh, are they using the core, the cloud optimized runtime? They, so they, could... <laughs> they must be. <laughs> All right. But, but you're going to need to, um, a key part of this is being able to use the command line uh, tools that come along with Xcode. But in order to do that, you need to be sure to accept the license, and you can do all this by command line. Um, yeah. Then, to make life easy on you, you're going to want to use Homebrew. If you're not already using Homebrew, it's uh, another package manager. It's another tool that you could use to, like Chocolatey, to you know download things automatically and install them on your platform. Um, <clears throat> of which you're going to want to. Use that to install Mono and the KVM, which has now been renamed. So I think Special K, his rapper pseudonym, uh, he must have gotten outvoted. Because now it's the DNVM, right? So D for dot, N for net. So the dot net VM. So use Homebrew to install both of those. It'll do it all together for you. Um, And then if you don't already have Node... You're going to need to install the node so that you can get the NPM. And then you're going to use NPM to install Yeoman and Grunt and Bower. And then... Which Bower is another package manager. Oh and Yeoman is as well. Oh, my God. Well, Yeoman is a generator. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so now that you've got all that, what I had to do I, consistently for some reason... I don't know why, but like every time I would run run KVM, if I just restarted terminal inside of OS 10, I would have to source my KVM.sh file every time, hmm. every time. So now you want to build an app, right? So you could do, um, you could use Yeoman. So you could do like a, uh, a yo space ASP.net. And then it'll, it'll ask you, it'll bring up a prompt saying like, hey, which one of these do you want to do? Do you want to do an empty application? Do you want to do a console application? Do you want to do a web application? Whatever. So let's say you pick web application. So you pick web application. Then you're going to do your KPM restore. Then you're going to do your KPM build. Then you're going to do your K space Kestrel to start the, the web server on OS 10. And you're going to get an exception. Too many open files. Huh. Or at least I did. You you might be lucky enough that you didn't. So then I had to go dig around and find out, like, why am I getting this stupid exception? There's a bug in Mono, uh, right? And this is another part of the reason why Microsoft will not want to be beholden to someone else to, to develop their runtime or else this thing is not going to take off. But uh, there's a there was a bug in Mono. So what I had to do was, and this is the beauty of environment variables, 
right? I could just simply from the command line say export, and then there was this mono-managed watcher, just disable that, and I was done. Then I could start, uh, run the kkestrel command again to start the web server. Now I could actually go into that, uh, I could actually go into a browser, you know, localhost, and see this uh, generic application that I built. Very cool. But that's a lot of steps, you know, they, to go from start to finish, right, to get you there, it, you know, if you're on a clean Mac. But the beauty is, like, all that except for the except for the Xcode, right? It was a one-time thing. And right? except for the very end of launching this thing in a browser, everything else was command line. I you 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 can well that's like Java though I mean that, I mean no but very... like when you do the yeoman when you use the yeoman generator to generate the the empty shell you know of, of your web application right like it's going ahead and creating all that structure for you right so so then once that was done then I could just go in and vi everything and and you know if I wanted to make any changes to it you know I could just do it through vi I could stay within terminal and do the whole thing right that's unheard of. A C sharp developer has never spoken those words before. No, would they want to? He stayed in a terminal and created an app from start to finish, and it worked. All right, but hold on, let's take a step back here. That's actually one of the reasons why C sharp developers like C sharp because they have an IDE that does all that stuff for you, right? But now I'm saying that you had the flexibility that you know before. Okay, sure, I'm sure there's some MS build expert out there is like, hold on, now you could totally do this. You run an MS build with eighteen thousand arguments. And I could totally do it. But now what I'm saying, though, is that they, they've simplified things, at least in my opinion, to where it was it was a lot easier. So I might have listed off, you know, a dozen or more steps, but that was all it took. And the majority of them, with the first one of installing Xcode and the last one of actually viewing it in a browser, everything else, I probably could have curled it, too, if I wanted, or you know, <laughs> if I wanted to stay in command line to see it. I probably could have done something like that. So I thought that was kind of awesome. But I mean, it is to cool. your point, though, there is a Sublime plugin. Yes. Now, now we're starting to get somewhere. So you could, and Sublime is cross-platform. So if you wanted to, you know, you, you could use Sublime to do your editing. And that plugin, uh, there's IntelliSense now within Sublime for C Sharp. Yeah, and on top of it as well, and we'll have a link in the show notes, um, this guy that was doing it, he actually has inside Sublime where he's calling K Kestrel to start things up from within Sublime. So you can actually, without having to go back and forth. Oh, to right, right, right. So you you're could speaking actually, of um, Scott Allen. No, this is Syed Ibrahim Hashimi. It's really easy oh, to that repeat, um, easy. build things. <laughs> How do you spell like that? Is it like it sounds? To, to build. It was actually really easy to set up in Sublime. So yeah, so it, it, it's pretty amazing. So what all Outlaw said, yeah, it, it might take a little bit of time to get it up and running, but once you do, you're done. At that point, you could edit it all within VI, which if you're crazy a little bit, you can, or you can go into Sublime where they have fantastic templating and all that kind of stuff, and actually be sane again. But you could now, in a decent, productive way, work on a Mac to code C sharp. Which is fantastic. Now, here, here's one weird thing that I ran into, too. And I don't know if, like, uh, I didn't bother to go look to see if this was, like, um, oh, actually, no, I did. I did go look into this one. It was a, a known bug. Um, but if you, okay, so now that you're running KKestrel, right, and let's say you want to stay in the command line, and you're like, hey, that's awesome. Well, let me just shut down this web server. Oh, which button is that? Is that Command-C, Control-C? Wait, Apple Q, 
Wait, why is this thing not stopping? What escape? Right? What what do I which one of these stupid buttons do I press? Right? It's the inner key. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so so there's actually like an open if you go find the repository the, the GitHub repository, there is actually an open request for to make it more clear that the enter key will quit uh, the the Kestrel web server once you start it, awesome. right? Now, <clears throat> to that effect, though, what at least from my own experience, if you pressed anything else, like in all those examples where I was like Control C, Command C, you know, Escape, all that kind of crap, I had to kill it by doing like you know the old fashioned Unix way, kill minus nine and find the PID that it was running under because it wasn't responding to anything else. Oh no. I mean the web server was still working, but as far as like the ability to stop the web server by use of the inner key, it wasn't it wasn't hmm. working for that. Huh. Interesting. So hopefully that'll get sorted out at some point. So your mileage may vary. He he actually did though get we saw the website, we saw proof that he had on his Mac running an OSX, he had an ESP VNX application running. Well, and I also did, I, I didn't mention this one too, but, or show you this one either, but I also did uh, the command line too, because like that was the more, that was one of the things I was more excited about too. It was like from a server side point of view, I was like, hey, think about like the little, the, like how many shell scripts have you written in your life or, or little scripts, you know, PowerShell scripts, bash shell scripts, Perl scripts, whatever, to do like little tasks on the server side, right? Now you can add C sharp to your arsenal of things that you could do on any platform to solve those little problems. Yeah, that's right. Cool. So, so that was another one of the things I did was I, I used the Yeoman generator. Let's bring up on OS 10 a uh, a C sharp console application and let me play around with that. And of course, I used VI to do all the editing because I'm insane. But uh, <laughs> but the one thing though that uh, that I haven't done, and this was originally like my my ultimate, one of the things I was setting out to do with it was like, if you think about this, like what's the long-term, your ideal goal here, your, your, what's the ultimate, uh, you know, fantasy about being able to be work on this cross-platform? Right once, deploy everywhere. No, man. That's what mine. What are you thinking, dude? That's Windows mine. everywhere? No, no. God, no. You guys are crazy. <laughs> Listen, here it is. You, you are at the office. On your company provided PC, you do some work there, right? Now you're like, hey, uh, I'm at home and I'm on my Mac. And, you know, it'd be really cool if I could just do that job from here on this Mac. And so let me just clone the repository, do some work, and I can keep working from home. You know, I don't have to go into the, I can go into the office a little later or whatever, right? That's the, that's, you know, the cross platform development. Oh, uh, okay. I'm with right. You is one thing that was key. And I haven't gotten to that part yet. Uh, I had originally set out to do it and then uh, developed an app in, um, you know, in visual, in the, in the, the CTP, which, what does that even stand for? But whatever. Capture the protocol. Yeah, whatever. Capture the packet. Um, whatever the latest version of it, I think it was like six, preview six of Visual Studio 2015. Yep. Um, so I developed that on a PC and then the idea was well let me just copy this whole structure over to my Mac and um, 
and then compile it. So I didn't do that. I just, because like I was just time constraints, but what my suspicion is, and this is unproven yet. CTP community technical preview. Oh, right. There you go. Yeah. So it just rolls right off the top. There it is. Uh, my, my, my suspicion though, is that the only thing that would be required to make that cross platform work would be modifications to the project.json to specify specifically uh, like OS 10 commands, right? So so when you look at the um, the project.json, one of the stanzas that's in there uh, is a commands section. So when I said um, K space Kestrel, and it would start it. That's because specifically in the project.json, there's a Kestrel command that's telling it what the web server should be, right? And what ho- what URL it should respond to, what port it should respond to, or you can exclude some of that if you wanted to. But you know that that's how that's working, right? And if you're on a PC and you want to do the self-hosted, right? Like I said before, you would do a K space web. And that's because in that project.json, there's a web uh, configuration section within or line within the commands um, object structure that specifies the Microsoft.ASP.NET hosting and then includes, you know, uh, server URL. Is there a way to do a switch in there based off what platform you're on? I mean, that that would be the key, right? No, that's what I'm saying. Like, you wouldn't need to. You could have both. You could have both commands. Oh, and it would know how to run the in the, the correct in one. the project.json. And then, depending on what environment, you would just say, "Hey, let me do k.web because I'm on my PC. Hey, I'm on my Mac. Let me do k kestrel." Oh, I, so I haven't tried it, but I think that's all that's necessary. That's okay. my gut. What Alan I think is saying is like he wants to run k and have it figured out, right? Well, but no, that's not how this works, though. Because K is more like think of yeah. K more like uh, like Git, right? Like okay, it's you know, the K, command. You K can't do just it. run Git by itself and right. do something. You got to give right. it a command, K right? Make. And so, so you're <laughs> you're you're deciding what those commands are in your project JSON. So if you wanted to have now, this would be a gross way to do it. I suppose you could make a command saying like you know uh, run, for example, and and you know, have that dependent, you know, ha- have the syntax of that different per each platform. But, but we're overcomplicating things there well, anyways. Well, worse, you wouldn't be able to commit that. Right, right. Because because then, you know, any Windows user's command is going to override yours. But so you're you saying you can have multiple separate. commands in there and you just know which ones to run based off what platform you're, you're yeah, doing. Yeah, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Yeah. So, so uh, I want to keep playing with that though, but I think that that's all that would be necessary. That that That's my my gut suspicion is that's all that's necessary but we'll you know i'll find out so your takeaway is you'd like to be able to to continue writing the same application across multiple platforms my i'm saying cross development is just as important as cross runtime i i actually the the host anywhere type thing is exciting to me um and that's actually pretty cool i don't know how much i would do that but oh so the next one that we have marked down is there's no more worrying about the GAC. And and that's huge. That the global assembly cache, right? Yes. And what they used to be is basically a, I a thought place it was that, for your... that sound that I made whenever like somebody mentioned there was a problem with a version. I'm like, oh god. Well, it's kind of both. <laughs> so <laughs> it, that's what eventually happened every time. Yeah, and it's this really convenient folder that has um, basically a shared assemblies that different programs can use. But the problem is that 
you don't really know what other people have. And so one person may have a DLL on their GAC and the next person doesn't. So you kind of commit, works on your machine, the next person gets it and uh, it's not in the GAC and they've got to try to hunt down some DLL from really dodgy websites. Yeah, and then you deploy it to X number of servers and half of them have it. Some yep. of them have a different version. They don't And originally, up. though, this was intended to be you know, that, that side-by-side yeah. deployment. Because originally the idea was, hey, we'll look first next to the executable, and if we can find the DLL there that we're looking for, then we have don't have to go any further. But if we need to, then we can go searching for, you know, in a, in a global, uh, you know, namespace and to find it, and that's what the GAC was supposed to I be. I mean, it, it's almost the same type thing as, like, if you go over to somebody else's house and you expect them to have shoes that fit you, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> that's really kind of what this is. So let's think about it, right? Like, the GAC was, the Why whole purpose was... you guys keep bringing up these... I'm putting clothes on. Clothes. I'm putting clothes on. <laughs> like, what is it, like... I I am not coming over to your houses, no, but, but it's just like that, right? Like you, you wouldn't you wouldn't go over to somebody else's house bare feet and be like, "Hey, you got a size eleven there, right?" That's not going to happen, and that's kind of what the whole gack was. Was hey, you can run ten different versions of the same thing, right? Like if you've got this Newton Soft package, you can run all ten versions of it. But let's say that you put your application out there and they just didn't happen to have the eleventh. Well, now you now you're messed up, and so. That was the problem with the GAC all along is they had to install these things for you to be able to use them. It was a good intent, but at least now you just bundle what you want and you send it across, and that's huge. So, yeah. so uh, GAC, you know, you did your best. I appreciate you. Goodbye. Yes. So we just went it's over It's not the- gone forever. No, it's not no, going. Don't, don't say goodbye. This uh, isn't yeah, goodbye. This is, we're talking ASP. You know, like I five. said before, if you're using the full .NET CLR, you're still you're still using the the GAC. You can. You don't have to. Yeah, if I, you're I using the full it. CLR, you don't you're still have using to. the GAC. You still or, don't have to use the GAC today, even <clears> with the full CLR. You can still bundle your dependencies. It's just that a lot of people no one bundles system in with their app. Correct. Okay. okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So yeah. So if you're using the this, that's a good point. The full CLR, you're still using the GAC. So okay. don't say yeah. goodbye just yet. I, I feel like that should be a meme. We need to get a picture of your face, like looking really intense, saying that. <laughs> saying what. Don't say that. Don't say, <laughs> it's not goodbye. So, no one bundles system. <laughs> <laughs> he did have an intense look, yeah. didn't he? He did the whole Gandalf like, you shall not pass, but uh, no one bundles system. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, I feel a meme man. coming. Oh, God. A meme. Oh, my God. <laughs> a meme? A meme. Wait, what was it? I am Gur. You know, there's always that. Uh, I am Gur. <laughs> oh. Yes. All right. <laughs> that, that was not mine. Too clever. All right. So set the KRE runtime info. What's so that? so I, w- I want to go to one of my favorites. Wait, wait. What's this one? What's set the KRE runtime info? Uh, I don't know. That was one of Joe's. Uh, it's basically just specifying the CLR again, which we've talked about quite a bit. Okay. We're done with the CLR. All uh, right. Yeah. And then, and then, well, one point that I did want to make about this side by side.net that nobody has mentioned, though. <laughs> Is that now for the first time finally upgrading .NET on your server can become even more of a pain in the. Wait, how's it? It's a copy paste because now you got to do it like you know if you have sixty four apps you got to do it sixty four times. No, I don't have sixty four apps. <laughs> well, it depends on what your server is, right? Yeah, that's true. Oh, well, that's an interesting take. Hey, 
But you can always write your script. Well, this is the dark side. This is the dark side of me that's thinking like, you know, like oh, where, where's the negatives here, right? Like like everybody's all, you know, rainbows and kittens about this, you know, side by side dot net thing. And I'm like, wait a minute, come on now. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So if you're a hosting company, rather than being like, Hey guys, you know, tonight at midnight we're installing the latest patch, it's more like, eh, you guys figure it out. Yeah, it's almost like Linux is handled nowadays, right? Like you got all these VMs out there, right? It's like, oh, you patch your own stuff. That's that's kind of what this is well, like. Well, that's not exactly what I was going with, though. But, I mean, I, I kind of see where your point is, like, them putting the onus on you. But I just meant, like, yeah, you know, you let's have, say that you have some server out there and you have 64 apps on you it. you got to update them Now all. it's not a matter of, well, they all support the latest version of .NET, so let me just uh, install this patch and done. Now it's, oh, crap, they're all side by side. Dude, I somebody's going to – there's going to be a tool for that. There, there will have to be a tool for that. But you're right. You know, there's no more, you know, Patch Tuesday kind of taking care of that little stuff, right? If yeah, now, now it's version specified. Then how does that? Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, specifically to Patch Tuesday, it's going to be interesting to see like how do security um, deployments get handled? You know, they to don't. Alan's point about the tool <laughs> that'll do this. Like, how is this going to happen? You know, yeah, there, there will have to be like, some. Like, is way. the system? I mean, this this is no longer dependent on like a GAC or anything like that. So right. it's just a file system. So I don't. I don't see anything that's going to know that, oh, you have three version, three different versions of .NET already installed on the system or not installed. Let's be careful with the wording here. Yeah. You have three Existing. different .NET files Existing. Right, on the system. Yep. I, don't, I don't know. There's going, going to be new positions at every company that are just PowerShell scripters that will be copying files all yes. the time. I think yeah. Joe just applied something. One of the cool things though that we didn't mention, I don't did we say this though? Like that um the core CLR, also known as the cloud optimized runtime, is super small. Yeah, it's yeah. tiny. Uh, I think eleven megabytes. Yeah, compared to two hundred, over two hundred for the full. Yeah, that's yep. pretty amazing. CLR. So, and that's why like the, the Raspberry Pi thing is even possible, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Internet of Things. It well, seem like they're it's possible, it. but it's not by any means usable. I mean, like that that one that I was specifically referring to yeah. was slow. Okay, well, you know, and that's why I was saying like maybe somebody else might want to come out with a CLR of their own that's more specific to embedded environments. You know, who knows? But, but still, still made possible because it's being shrunk down to just the core necessities. So, so. I wanted to bring up something that I don't, I haven't heard anyone talk about this one before. Uh, you know, w from any videos I've watched, things I've read, but I thought it was kind of interesting. So because I do, um, like okay, so let's go back to you know current uh, Visual Studio, you know, 2013 and before environments, right? Where you could have um, build configurations for different environments. So by default, you're getting a debug and a release, but you might have ones for different CPU architectures, whatever. You might have some that um, you're setting different directives. I don't, I can't even think of all the different examples why you might, but right. you know, there's a bunch of reasons out there where you might have multiples. So I got into a habit of, uh, I like to do batch builds just like before I, before I, um, you know, push up my changes to the remote repository just to make sure that like everything's still good. Like I didn't break some other obscure uh, build that I'm not using. Right. So I got into this habit a long time ago of just doing the batch builds just to make sure like every version builds fine. Right. And now with this, um, uh, you know, the, the, the new Roslyn compiler that you were referring to earlier that where like, as soon as you're saving the file, it's building it. 
it's building all the versions. Oh, very cool. So, so if you want, and, and, and by that, what I mean is like, so now when you look into your references um, folder, right? Remember how you used to see like a whole bunch of different uh, DLLs named out by namespace? So you might see like a, you know, system dot, uh, you know, uh, give me one system.math system.math or whatever. Right. You know, you would see all of these different ones specified out, right? You don't see that now. What you see right away is you're going to see the frameworks that you're targeting. Oh, nice. right. So, uh, if you're supporting the full on CLR, you're going to see ASP.net, uh, five if you're supporting core CLR, the cloud optimized runtime, you're going to see ASP.NET Core 5.0, right? And now when you do your saves, you're, it, it's compiling both of those versions. Now, you know, when I mentioned about the batch build, you still have your batch build. So I haven't bothered to, to look to see if like both release and debug get built, um, which is really what the reason why I do for. that. Yeah, yeah but... but it is building both of those targets for you, right? So, so that then brought up the the point that it was like, well, wait a minute, is it doing the, uh, um, you know, like, what if you what if you needed to have something that was specific to one platform but not the other? So, so in other words, maybe I want to write this application to where uh, when you're running on the full CLR, I can use generics or link let's say link for example mm-hmm. um and and but uh for if you're running on core you know the cloud optimized clr i don't want to have that dependency be required and so i can just do this one call and and be done with it right so there's these uh the compiler directives are back right we we set it back to c regular c i don't know why we're doing that I don't, I don't. I don't know why you're not with me here on the excitement level because you can pound if stuff. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I was actually making a joke like that. That wasn't. Don't take me serious there. That wasn't like I didn't. I mean, yeah, I got a little can. sad there. I thought you were for reals. Yeah, I no, did too. No, totally, yeah, totally I'm not wasn't a fan for reals. Of that. Like, like, well, okay. So in C, we had to write our own bugs. In C we can inherit them. Nice. So now we fast forward to C sharp. Now we can still do like uh, you know those pound if directives. So you could say like uh, pound if ASP.NET 5.0 and then do your core. Yeah, I'm sorry. Do your full CLR specific code, or and then pound end if, or you could do pound if ASP dot or ASP.NET Core 5.0, which would uh, target. Um, you know, the core CLR. So obviously the compiler is going to be smart enough to know like, okay, which one of these need to be, to be targeted. So, um, yeah, that's crazy. The first time I see some code that's going to have that crap in it. Oh, I'm going to be a little bit upset. That's code. Like it better be, it better be because you're writing something that absolutely requires being cross platform. That's the only reason why I could see that you want to use those directives. That's insane. That pull request. (laughs) <laughs> so, so uh, to finish up on a few of these here, um, one of the other things was previous versions of apps would just automatically work on the framework without any modifications. That's a promise that they made. Uh, hopefully, mm. that that is true. And well, no, that that's what they said. If if there was something about routing, it, I thought though, uh, they say that they will work. 
without oh. any modifications. That's if you choose to run on the newer the newer platform. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to the to the core CLR. If you do that, you have to change a lot of stuff. However, if you're just trying to run on the full .NET framework, it'll just plop in and work. Hmm. Oh. I could have sworn there was something. There was a gotcha. If I remember correctly, I, I don't. Uh, I'll never find it now. But if we I, do, I it'll be in the show notes. That there was uh, at least one scenario where, and I thought it had to do something weird like MVC routing or. It would make sense because it's unified now, but that's what they say. That's even one of their bullet points directly off ASP.NET slash VNext. Um, another thing, you can play with this stuff right now. Uh, you can go, if you want Visual Studio, the CTP6, which was Community Technology Preview 6. Uh, you can do that. We recommend doing that in a VM, though, because oh. it is it is new and it's not ready for production yet. So if you do that, put it on something that doesn't necessarily need to be you know ready to go. Uh, did you find it? Yes, I actually did find it. I can't believe I did. Okay, so there's a blurb at the end of... Uh, there's an ASP.NET um, page that has an overview of vnext and at the very end there's this little blurb that says mvc6 and signalr3 apps use the new http pipeline so they are not compatible with apps that use system.web right that's using a different clr mm, that's using doesn't even mention c it's not even talking about clr here it says that those use the new pipeline right so it's implying a clr there but they are not compatible with apps that use system.web well, that's fine because we were talking about old apps. Would to just upgrade, plop. it says to upgrade existing apps. Yeah, but we were talking about existing apps running on this, right? Right. So it says to upgrade existing apps to MVC6 or SignalR, you must create a new project through Visual Studio 2015 and then port your code to the new project. And when porting, you'll need to modify the unsupported code. But so that's if you're upgrading your project, though. If you just want to bring it straight over, you can do it without any changes, right? Because what you just said was key. If you want to upgrade it to run on MVC6 and all that, yeah. then you have to touch it. Otherwise, you can just move it straight over. It runs. Well, I mean, what are you talking? What are you calling support then? Are you telling like if I just leave my old legacy app running and install the next version of .NET? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's not what I meant. No, no, that's what they were saying. Like if if you have a new server set up that's running the .NET framework or whatever, you can bring this thing straight over without any. No, I think what they're talking about is like, can I just take my legacy app and open it up in 2015 and compile it and it work? And they're saying yes, that'll work, except in these scenarios. That's if you're bringing it in 2015. If you don't want to do that, just want to put it on a server that is running the latest stuff. That's the way they make it sound. What you're talking about is actually upgrading the project, which you have to do anytime you upgrade a version of Visual Studio anyways. So I, I think it's two different cases. Um, I, I believe it is anyways. Um, and uh, email us if we're wrong. Yeah. Hey, let's get on to the next thing because we are definitely running a little long tonight. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Uh, this was a big topic. Uh, so web forms. Yep. Uh, are web forms dead? And the answer is... No, wink, right? So Webforms 4.6, a new version coming out. It's kind of come along with this. Um, Alcohol alcohol Outlaw is making some funny uh, faces over there. I just blew my brains out. He loves Webforms. All right. Oh, my God. (laughs) Not really. But uh, HTTP2 is supported in Webforms. Also, some async model binding and some Roslyn kind of features. So uh, Webforms aren't legacy. 
Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was reading ahead. Yeah, so um, you can continue developing your web forms app. They've got a little blurb here, so um, you're still pretty good. And web forms aren't dead, but they're they're dead <laughs> to us. Yeah, yeah. So you know they're on their way out. So uh, start thinking about it. Um, as far as and we'll run apps, without modification. It says again. So yep. Um, and know. there's a couple new features like support for HTTP2. So it's not completely unsupported. Yep. Uh, how long till Visual Studio goes cross-platform? <laughs> yeah, that's the real Never. question. Never. <laughs> it's not happening. Dude. Well, like who would have thought CoreCLR is going to, is going cross-platform? That's a little well, bit. Well, I think easier. that was the hope that we always had, though. Right? Yeah. I mean, like right out of the gate when Microsoft came out with .NET, they uh, open sourced the the. Oh, that might be the wrong word, but they opened up the uh, .NET's CLR specifications, and just no one else decided to implement it. Yep. So they wanted it to be cross-platform in the beginning. Well, I'll tell you, if Visual Studio goes cross-platform... Or at least that was the image they projected. If it goes cross-platform, I'll get a tattoo, a Microsoft tattoo. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I think it's got to be like a big picture of Bill Gates. Wait, do you want to have this in any particular given time frame? Because, dude, you left that open for a long time to come. <laughs> Um, in the next, is this like an Adam Sandler years. thing, like you seven know, Waterboy, years? where it's uh, you know, where uh, where are you getting this on the forehead? Wait, uh, <laughs> oh god, you gonna have like Drake? Wait, seven years? Yeah, I'm actually. Really? Well, what I'm gonna do is, um, see, I've, I haven't told you guys, but I've already got a really embarrassing Zune tattoo, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna kind of overwrite that one. Here goes another uncomfortable conversation. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, I'm surprised that no one brought up when it's being released. Uh, it's this year, right? It's pretty much already there. No. Well, right now it's just in like beta. They're talking about with Windows 10, right? Same no. time? No? It, it officially comes out with uh, Visual Studio 2015. Uh, that's which, right. Which, um, I, from things that I've read, the, the target, if I remember correctly, was second quarter of this year. So. Soon. Yeah. Well, that could be, that could be like. All know, the way up to June, right? Yeah. Into yeah. June. Right. Um, but one post that I read from someone who claimed to be a Microsoft employee was that like most of the bits were already locked down, you know, that they, they already had it settled. So like surprisingly, this is, you know, being done from multiple teams. So this is, you know, there's a, the ASP.NET VNX team that's doing their part to implement this, but then there's the whole Visual Studio team that's you know, building the support for this thing. Right. That's a whole other team. Yeah, that's a lot right? of work. So, so yeah, so uh, it's it's supposed to be quarter two from things that I've read. Hopefully that'll be consistent. But if it's anything like, like you mentioned Windows 10, Windows 10, there was an announcement, was it uh, a couple days ago or last week? I think it was last week, where the announcement was that it would come out in summer. But if you read into that, that could be all the way into September. Yeah. It, and I will say, I am using Windows 10 Preview. It's fantastic. Although, I remember, um, Microsoft is based in uh, Redmond, so Washington State. So their summer is like three weeks, so it's actually not that bad. I think oh it's, only, it's actually like three days. It's a small window. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that yeah. so in summary, real quick, <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, really, when you boil it down, uh, ASP5 uh, is basically Java. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Everybody who wanted to leave the show was waiting for that. <laughs> yep. All right. Bring so, on J Sharp. There it is. It's yep. back, baby. So, uh, how fast can you say this, Alan? 
It's faster, simpler, more flexible, cloud-friendly, cross-platform, open-source, best practices. Basically, everything is better. Yep. Wow, that was a mouthful. That was pretty good, right? That was really good. I need a drink. All right. So resources we like. We're going to have a ton of links in the show notes, but just real quick, there was a, a Scott Allen uh, video on Pluralsight that just came out, I want to say like 12 days ago, that uh, goes over ASP.NET 5. A lot of great information there. Visit ASP.NET slash vnext. Um, you'll get a lot of great uh, information. One of the links in there is for the overview. We'll have that link in there as well. And uh, there was another link that I found, or a blog entry that I found on one of the um, ASP.NET blogs by Scott Gu that had uh, some great information on ASP.NET 5. So we'll have those links in there. So let's skip on to the tip of the week. All right, let's do it. All right. So you remember me dogging on Firefox earlier? Yeah, well, I'm about to make it real. All right, so my actual tip is for Firefox. So there's a t- <laughs> This is not a new extension, but if you're not already using it, then it's a cool one. Um, it's called Tilt 3D. And if you're doing any kind of web development and you need to be able to see, sometimes being able to see the Z-index or just how the different components are stacking up on one another can be helpful. Tilt3D is uh, an add-in to Firefox. I think it's based on OpenGL, could be wrong. But it it makes a 3D representation of your web page that you can spin and turn around you and flip end over end, and you can actually see how everything is stacking on top of one another. He yeah. doesn't use it. He likes to look at it. Okay. Because <laughs> I saw this like a couple years ago and I was like, hey, it kind of looks like a city a little bit. Uh, it does. Yeah. And then I never well, like I it said, again. this is it's not it's not new, but you know, some people might not have heard about it. So I thought, hey, why yeah. not? It's really cool. You'll use it once and then you'll disable the plugin. But it's a it's a good <laughs> once. It depends like I said, it depends on if you're if you're doing things specific with like Z indexes where it can can be helpful. Yeah, and just be prepared, depending on what JavaScript framework you're using to generate all your divs, this thing could probably kill your computer. That's right. <laughs> I mean, this is probably more graphical intense than Call of Duty or, or even uh, Shadows of Mordor. This will probably explain my issues with Firefox earlier. Yeah, right. <laughs> all right, so my, uh, my tip of the week, this one's actually... Outlaw and myself has shared this frustration. We we program on Macs and we're using Boot Camp and the newer Retinas have you know they double the DPI. So the way that it's handled in OS X is they basically instead of you know trying to show it at the actual pixel, they they you know scale it up two times. Well, the problem is is go into Windows and they don't handle scaling quite as well, even on eight, not Windows eight. Eight one doesn't, and even ten isn't great so far as if I remember right. I'd have I to was check. Pretty sure Windows ten had this problem solved. It may, it may have. I'd have to go back and check. But this is only a Windows eight or eight one, specifically eight one. We should say. Yeah, eight one's frustrating because what happens is if you plug in a second monitor, it tries to scale them both the same. So if you try and increase the or, well, or not scale. Well, it doesn't scale it. That's well, the problem. Can. No, you can. You can. And here's what here's what was frustrating. Well, I'm saying by default. By default, it doesn't. But even if you try and set it up to where it does, you might get your laptop looking good. But now your bigger monitor over there is going to be just ginormous, right? Your font's going to be like an 80-point font. 
So right, your dad, your dead grandmother came back to life and can read it. Seriously, like it, it's insane. So there is a scaling issue. Well, one of the things you can do, and this is not ideal, but I thought it'd be a nice tip. I actually saw somebody using it for a presentation at one point. Is if you want to use the Zoom tool, and again, this is not ideal, but if you need to see something on a screen that's just it, the the font's too small, you can hit the Windows key and the plus button, and it'll automatically zoom in. Um, I think it goes to 200% by default and then that way it doubles it. And so if there was something you needed to look at more closely, you can do that. And then if you want that zoom to go away, you just hit the windows key and escape. It's fantastic for doing presentations in a room where you're trying to, to key in on a piece of code or something like that. But I found it fairly useful and it, and it's a nice little tip anyway. So windows zoom, uh, the windows key and the plus and, and windows key minus will zoom back out also. So, Pretty interesting. Very cool. And uh, my tip of the week uh, comes from Lee Inglestone, who we've mentioned on the show before. Um, he's at ManchesterDeveloper.com. And uh, I saw a tweet from him a little bit ago talking about a new project he was working on called SQL Pen. And as soon as I heard the name, I kind of knew exactly what he was going for. And I think it's awesome. And what it is, it's, uh, it's a simple WPF. Well, I assume it's simple. I don't know. Hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't mean to offend you. No offense. I'm sure it's awesome. But uh, it basically will kind of like um, run a query periodically and you can kind of pin this to your desktop so I have a little window open. So if you are, you know, maybe doing a scary deployment or something like that, you could have a couple queries up there that are kind of refreshing to see if anything crazy is going on. You can just kind of keep that on your desktop and go about your day. So uh, you can kind of pin these queries. And uh, yeah, I just think that's awesome. How much you want to bet one of the ones that he has is SP who to? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably running like every two seconds. Yeah, so uh, it's uh, it's not open source, but uh, you should go bug him about it because it sounds awesome. Very cool. Yeah, so with that, uh, like I said, we'll have lots of great information in the show notes. Be sure to check those out. Uh, leave some feedback. We love it. Um, you go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, leave us a review. We greatly appreciate it. And, uh, right, where are we at? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So contact us with a question or a topic. We actually really like it when we get the emails on the topics because it helps us actually give you what you want. Leave your name, preferred method, a shout-out, website, Twitter, whatever, and we'll mention you on the podcast. And also, please do go to www.codingblocks.net slash review to leave us a review, and you can find all the show notes for this particular episode at www.codingblocks.net slash episode 25. Yeah, and send us your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net and uh, follow us on Twitter because we're funny at codingblocks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny guys. Yes. All right. Funny looking.